and welcome back to Christianity Commandeered. I'm your host, Dan Hayward. And today I want to talk about uh, just kind of one topic, which I call the the, uh, the sin of certainty. And it's not necessarily a topic that I invented. Um, it's one that I've talked about, but I see that it's quite prevalent in the community of writers and thinkers of just really topics of certainty and kind of how they relate to problems in faith, problems in raising kids. Uh, so this is a great topic for thinking about kids, as well as just thinking about ministries and evangelism. Um, so I, I just kind of want to start with kind of what it's like in the law to be certain. Uh, it's dangerous, I'll just tell you that. So when I prep my clients about their cases and they're about to be deposed, which a deposition is both sides sit down at a table typically and one side asks questions of the other and it's under oath and usually it's going to be hours of questioning and it can be all over the place and you prep a person to answer questions only when you're certain should you answer one way did this happen no it did not but otherwise you want to be very careful because a lot of people's minds as we're thinking about things, they jumped to extremes or absolutes. And those absolutes can be dangerous because they can be discounted, they can be broken up, they can be proven wrong. So for example, if you're having a, a dispute between two people and one person says, that never happened. And at trial, the other side says, oh, you say you never talked to her on that day? Well, here is a text message. And then you're arguing about what talking is. But the, the, the key here is that there was a contact between the two. And by saying never happened, you've now opened up the, oh, I see. You say this never happened, but it actually did. And that's a huge point for a jury to pick up. Because the jury is looking for those big swings, uh, a, a lie, so to speak, the smoking gun when they hear it. And so lawyers are just, if the topic doesn't need to be certain, then so to speak, you almost hedge your bets because the thing is most of us don't remember everything and we're more likely only remember our understanding of events. And when I say our understanding of events, uh, if you're talking to another person and you walk away and you talk about what it was like to talk to that person, one person might say that that person was a jerk. They just, they were, they were rude and short and I just remember them being a jerk and the other person doesn't remember that at all. And that's because uh, that person is not necessarily understanding or, or remembering what they said, but they know they didn't like what they were being said or they felt like they were being talked down to um, or, or treated like a lesser person. And so they're remembering that part of the conversation, even if they don't remember the words. And so our memory works in a lot of different ways. Uh, we usually don't remember the exact situation that happened, but we understand the experience of it or over time we kind of re-remember and kind of convert that into something else, which might be something where we have an added emotion to it, which is I didn't like that, or oh, I thought they were very smart. It seemed like they were really on point, or they were accurate in their statements. Uh, those are the kind of things our, our minds are always going through. And it's no different with religion. Um, I think that most people going to church, they really respect their pastor probably do they probably tend to believe what that person's saying or they tend to try to agree with it as it's being said and 
it's it's actually a, a a place where people are probably not that objective when they're listening to their pastor uh, or their their priest or their uh, ministers or the people might be speaking up front. And so, why it's such an important topic about certainty is this is this is really a it can affect your children in a, in a great way or even your colleagues or coworkers. And so first I want to start with the, the definition of, of certainty, just so that we're on the same page. And, and a lot of these terms should kind of give you an understanding of why in faith it's, it could be a good thing or maybe a very damaging thing, which is, um, the, so definition of certain is free from doubt or reservation, confident or sure. And one, I would first tell you our faiths should have doubt and they should have reservations. So I would, I would say in my argument today that certainty is really counter to what, what faith could be if you look at the very absolute uh, edges of it. Now look down on the next uh, definition, which says destined or sure to happen. And I think that's one that's, that's more faith-driven, which is we're, we're hoping and believing in this being of power above us and that one day when we die, we'll go to heaven and, and be with this powerful uh, entity. And so the next definition kind of builds on that inevitable or bound to come. And then the next definition kind of swings back to where the first ones were established as true or sure. It's unquestionable, indisputable. And so if you kind of take that role in your faith and you assume that your faith is indisputable, unquestionable, we will get to this in a little bit, but that, that, that is going to create problems in your church, in your family, marriages, with your children, because something that's undisputable is really usually undisputable only because you believe it is so. In other words, when you're talking with someone else, arguing with someone else, reading people's works, listening to your pastor, listening to whatever it may be, if you're believing your faith is indisputable, you're not really arguing about the facts or the history, the science, you're just really arguing about what you believe in because you believe it, it's indisputable. And the last piece from here is fixed, agreed upon, or settled, um, which can kind of be somewhat helpful. In other words, if we're talking about certainty of faith, it's kind of understood that that means that there's a certainty of things going to happen when you die or as you live, these things are, it's, it's understood it's it's an agreed upon between people of faith that there's a God, there's a resurrection, there's a you know, many things. But of course, across churches, there's so many denominations that really well settled would be a, a, not a helpful term here. But uh, what I'm mostly getting at is really this kind of certainty about indisputable or overly confident, lacking of doubt. And let's, let's just jump to a verse real quick. And this is one that I remember from being a kid, and one that I'm sure most kids are, are taught uh, in the Christian upbringing, which is Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'm going to start with the one that I would have read as a kid. So this is NIV version. This was kind of the, I, and I haven't done a lot of research on the types of Bibles, but NIV I think is a, is a pretty, it's a conservative kind of evangelical 90s Bible is, is kind of my understanding. I remember thinking it's the only Bible I should read. I shouldn't even look at other versions. And I, and I didn't even know anything about versions at all. I, I had done no research. But the one that I had, I assumed, was the one that I should always read and should always read after that. 
Uh, I do not adhere to that anymore. But let me just read to you Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And I remember this verse actually saying certain about what we do not see. And if you, you look through the several different versions, there's one that does use that, which is, let's see, there's a Berean study Bible that says, Now faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. That, that's the version I remember as a kid, um, even though I would have certainly read the certainly read the NIV version but the NASB also has now faith is the certainty of things hoped for and a proof of things not seen and and I think this verse has been used kind of to the detriment of Christianity because when I when I grew up it was this empowering verse it was a verse that was saying guess what use your faith it, it covers everything and it gives us this confidence and assurance to live. And that's I think that's powerful and helpful. And I think a lot of people do gain the benefit of that as they grow in their faith and live. Because if we cast our cares upon God, we can kind of you know, offset depression and, and difficulty by kind of lumping all this pain and suffering and saying, well, God, you've got this. Please take this for me. And we don't have to suffer. We can let God take the suffering because we know in the end that we're faithful in doing God's work. And if we die, that we're going to heaven. And so it was kind of something that could be kind of <clears throat> very satisfying and peaceful. And But I think as I've gotten older, <clears throat> I've tended to kind of cut back on thinking about this uh, in a different way, which is you're never going to see the results of your faith while you're alive. Or you're actually, it's always going to be faith it's not evidence. It's 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 this kind of other territory which suggests that, well, really you'll never be able to prove it to someone else. And I think that that's what I like to kind of rest on because that's really what faith is, right? <clears throat> we don't get to uh, tell someone something and say, well, look, here's all the, the articles of evidence that you can read through, and here's the scientific facts that we can pull up uh, because inherently faith is this kind of personalized faith, at least in Christianity, um, American Christianity, that we can just describe to someone. And for some reason, other people get it, and other people completely don't get it. And we kind of have cre created this these groups, these kind of isolated groups of American Christianity where really you stick around these people that agree with you, and they have this certainty uh, about faith. And, and that's when you start finding people who will talk about other people and say, oh, and they're a Christian. Uh, somehow, like, putting that little marker on someone that, oh, that you can trust everything they do. They're a good person. Or I, I do business with this person, and, oh, and they're a Christian too, and somehow that makes them a better business person and that they do uh, everything right and moral. And uh, which is, I find very ironic because seeking to do good, one, you have to talk about what, that good is and really what you're trying to do and then really living out this personal relationship could mean so many different things so kind of slapping on this filter that shows you're good and someone who's worth talking to I, I, I really have not gotten I, I don't understand as I've gotten older um, because that I think goes back to the certainty that you understand what their faith is what they're doing where they're going instead of thinking of them as someone who is taking advantage of you because they say they're a Christian uh, there's a reason why uh, people who are in business 
go to church or people who are politicians have churches they go to. And I don't necessarily think it's because they are taking full advantage of people at churches. That's not where I'm necessarily going, but it is a, it is a, a house of people that you have influence and know people and, and can have resources and work with people. And that's a good thing, but it can also be a very bad thing. All right, so let's just gonna jump back here a little bit and and talk about what I call the sin of certainty. So if you're if you're in a faith driven uh, way of life and you raise your kids in a certain way and you convince your kids, tell your kids over and over the same things, which are that things are one way, they go this way, and this is the answer. <clears throat> there's a distinct answers to everything. There's distinct problems that have one answer. Uh, you're going to set yourself up to fail. I'll just I'll just make that clear. Uh, same thing as I kind of mentioned in the law. If, if your client wants to give distinct black and white answers to everything, you can't go to trial. Like you, you don't want to get to having to post either. You know that's a huge threat to your case. Not because they... They're lying. That's that's not even it. It's, it's the reality that most people don't r live their lives with that type of certainty. That everything they have, they have a perfect answer to. Because eventually, there's something that's, that's found wrong with it. And, and when you're raising kids, that's 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 what we're getting at here. Is at some point, I grew up with a belief that certain things were always the same way. The answers were always the same. And as I got older, I realized that wasn't true. Even like. And, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but The Widow's Might was kind of the first story where I was reading through it. And my older brother had kind of just been talking to me about it and mentioned that there was three ways this was interpreted. And I, I was blown away because when I was a kid, it, was, it only meant one thing. And The Widow's Might, real quick, was just the, the story about who gave the most money and so the widow gave two copper coins and they had the rich man throwing the bag of money on there of gold coins. And it, it, when I was young, that was lifting up the story of even the poor giving money, you're actually giving more. So it was almost something to pat yourself on the back and beat your chest. Like, look at me, I still give more as a poor person because I'm giving a higher percentage. And and it's it's funny, even as I say that, I really see how the second interpretation, which is, well, it's such a pity. Why would this person think that they're compelled to give of their poverty when they have so little to give? Like they'll barely be able to eat. But that suffering somehow becomes this faith-driven sacrifice that <clears throat> you can feel more godly about or spiritual. And and so that, that certainty as I was a youth was quickly kind of broken up as I got older because I, I read more. I read on my own. I didn't have the same pastor telling me what, everything meant or the same groups telling me the same thing and so it really set me up to be in kind of an inst unstable place now I, I never broke up and left the faith and abandoned all these things but I know people who did and they found they might have just found just one piece that they got angry over uh, one piece of their faith that they said wow this is I was taught wrong I was lied to as a kid and so uh, if we're talking about raising kids one of the things that we were kind of trained to do or at least our, our church kind of has this type of message or we also have books that we've been given uh, by the church or, or things we've read about is we talk about the wonder model and the wonder model is 
really allowing kids to explore verses uh, themselves and then get used to asking questions about it. So one, it, it means that it's okay to question. Two, it's okay not to have a distinct answer. And three, when you have an answer for something, that means that it could be somewhat flexible. So, so let me give you an example. So if we're talking about Noah's flood, right? We're uh, we're talking about kind of kind of one of those stories that always comes up in in with the young kids in in church Sunday school and kind of one that that's prevalent in our society of, of people understanding it and knowing about it, uh, but also one that's just very distinctly at odds with science, uh, the historical record. And really at odds against, I mean, I don't know if every faith, every religion, but all these religions have stories of the flood that all occurred differently and would have occurred at different times. And a lot of uh, kind of evangelical Christians have become very certain that this happened because it's in the Bible. And I don't think they've ever read much of the context or the background of the Bible um, and historical findings because what they're often arguing is that at about 2500 BC, the planet was wiped out. And really, where does that, where can you go from there? So we have, I think we have about 7 billion people on this planet. And at 2500 BC, scientists suggest that we, there was probably about a million people who were alive. And that a million helps us correspond to get to the number we're at today. But if you're a certainty kind of person saying this happened in the Bible and it's definitely at about, it's definitely at about uh, 2500 BC, you realize that one family, uh, not one family, but a family and their wives procreated and repopulated the total earth at 2500 BC when roughly around that time we have many records of societies writing things, thinking of things, uh, conquering each other, moving around uh, and there's not just an, an empty space of history at that point like it didn't just disappear uh, you know we, the the pyramids yeah we, you might say oh well it's the flood happened and so all these people died so these societies disappeared. It's like well no we we know these people moved from place to place and that they had writings and there was people they were conquered um, and so if you're falling on that certainty model you put yourself in a, in a pretty big bind because you're putting all your basically all your eggs in one basket to fight over points that are really just easily broken down and, and debated, and and I think that if you if you're going back in time and talking about certainty, there was a lot of things that we just didn't really have opinions on, and because there, there was no way to be certain, as you go back in time and when we didn't have a modern Bible to throw together and put into one nice uh, book and translate it, uh, you're also finding that people couldn't read or write, and you go back further in time where people were just not living that long, you know, or, or maybe faith couldn't have never been a, a big part of their lives because of where they lived. And then you kind of zoom back forward, and I, I just realized that for myself, I was born in a family that was Christian, so I was Christian, raised that way and there's thousands of other religions and i just kind of started to wonder just because i was born here what if i was born elsewhere what if i born into a hindu family muslim uh, a jewish family 
I mean, the, and the list goes on. And that simply because I was born here, that somehow makes me right. And somehow I got lucky that I got the exact right thing. And first, it just seems quite absurd just to assume that. And I think that goes back to the kind of certainty we have, uh, which is it's a psychological term that's kind of self-confirming bias, uh, which means you find information to confirm what you already know and what you already are and what you already experienced. And so you've really just used this kind of bias to confirm yourself that, oh yeah, I was born here, that's right, it's perfect, and everything's good. It's very easy on our minds, and our minds like that ease, but we are should be struck with that tension of realizing how many other people were living in these certain ways, uh, believing these certain things for years, or even long before our faiths, and those are just not going to go to heaven. They're, they're certainly wrong, and certainly have not... Uh, have the type of faith we have or the faith we should have. And I don't remember where I learned it from, but there is an understanding of the Amish communities that the greatest sin is speaking for God. And when I, I remember, I can't remember when I learned that, if I was watching a movie or reading something, but I've loved that concept because one, if you're certain, you're actually speaking for God. And, and let me kind of open that up a little bit. So if you're telling someone what the Bible says and what God's saying, and you're saying, no, it's this way, you're actually saying what God said. So you actually have become the interpreter for God, or or really you become the mouthpiece of God. I, I think that's so dangerous. I think that should be very unnerving for people to do confidently. And I think that's what kind of why I always fall back on the acceptance that there should always be doubt and live in the tension that maybe we could be wrong or that maybe there's other ideas we should understand and explore uh, because being certain about what God says can be a dangerous thing in, to teach someone or to just assume between people. Uh, I was on a, uh, a discussion on Facebook and it was a discussion about forgiving debt and the first gal wrote and used the word never just said, well, God never said this. And it was so easy for her to write it and, and say it. And, and that's, the type of, that's the type of faith that I, I think that we should all be very concerned about. Because when you write that one, she is speaking for God. She, she literally is. And now she may be arguing it because it's just from her opinion, but that is what she's writing down. She's saying this. And there's certainly quite a bit of counter evidence about forgiveness, uh, debts in the Bible. And for some reason, she has not seen or read those things or understood those things. And she's just making a point that God never would have had someone else pay debts for another person, uh, which is seems very ironic because that's literally what Jesus did. And so kind of what I want to just leave people with is just you can apply this to any category. You know, it might just be the types of verses that we look at or the types of faiths we have, but if you become very certain about something, you're really you're lacking the doubt and you're lacking the reservations. It helps us build and grow into faithful people, into good people with one another. And I, and here's kind of the big thing. Here's the big question. If you're so certain, then is it faith? Because if you're 100% certain about something, then it's not faith. It's certainty. You've replaced your faith with certainty, which I, I and I don't know what that is. I don't know what a, a faith that's, 100% certain. I don't know what that means, but I know that it means that you're going to find 
battles with each other in arguments over things that you're just trying to tell other people what it is and what it's not. And I don't know if that's going to help you raise your kids to be good moral people. I, I don't I don't think it will be for me. Um, and I don't think that it helped me as a young person because I think it just set me up to fail and to find faults in my own kind of teachings. So with that, uh, I thank you for listening today and I wish you shalom.